Let's pray. Father in heaven, you know every veteran by name. You know their deeds. You know their hard work. You know their perseverance. God, but you also know their needs. So draw each one of them closer to you. Grant them the peace that passes all understanding, the peace of Christ, so that it can rule in their hearts, so that there can be joy in your presence. Lord, we we ask for that same joy today. We need that joy in our presence. We sing these songs to you because we want our joy to be full. Lord, we need it in our lives because there's so much darkness. There's so much sorrow. There is so much opposition. And God, we know, we know that you created us so that your joy can overflow through us and in us and pervade those dark places, those dark places and thoughts in our lives. Because God, that supernatural joy that you give us, it's going to be a witness and a testimony of your power, of your greatness, of your love. Lord, as we consider your cross today, Lord, do not let us resist you. Let us embrace being called your child so that we can lift up our hands so that our knees can be strengthened. We want to inherit your blessings. Give us that soul affection and desire. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So today, the big idea that we're all going to walk away with is this, that the way of Jesus leads to a fullness of joy. The way of Jesus leads to fullness of joy. We're going to be in John chapter 16, verses 16 to 24, um, while you find your places there. We are in week nine of the last discourse. This is the last things that Jesus taught his disciples before he went to the cross. And this, we're almost at the end of the series, but it's key and crucial, right? It's key and crucial because one of the things that Jesus promises his disciples is joy, that we are going to be full in it. So John chapter 16, verse 16. Let's read it together. A little while, and you will see me no longer. And again a little while, and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, What is this that he says to us, A little while, and you will not see me. And again a little while, and you will will see me. And because I am going to the Father. What does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he's talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, Is this what you are asking yourselves? What I meant by saying, A little while, and you will not see me, and again a little while, and you will see me. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. And your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. I wrestled hard this week with this passage. I wrestled immensely. The reason I wrestled so hard is because joy is not natural for me. Surprise, surprise, right? (laughs) Joy is not natural, right? It is hard. It is so very hard. And you know what? To add to that, there are not that many things that make me particularly joyful, right? Right? There's just not. 
I mean, there are many, many more things that take away my joy than there are things that make me joyful, right? Joy, it regularly slips out of my hands. If I'm not careful because of what's going on in my life, I overlook God's gift of joy, right? And and so when Jesus says to his disciples, there's going to be lament and weeping and sorrow, but that sorrow is going to turn into joy, that's hard for me to believe in faith. That's hard for me to believe in general, right? And if you're anything like me, you find this particularly hard because there's so much sorrow in your life. It's so much easier to let go of the joy that was gifted to you. Is that true for some of us? But the problem is, this is what Jesus says. He promises us joy after suffering, right? He says, if you follow me, you will have a fullness of joy even if you're in the middle of sorrow. And that's perplexing. That's a paradox. But we have to wrestle. Uh, A few nights ago, Michelle and I were wrapping up the house. It was about midnight, getting ready to go to bed. You know, the the laundry was being folded. The dishes are being done, right? It's being dried. And, you know, the toys have been picked up from, from wherever they were in the house. And the joy of silence was in the air. Isn't that wonderful? Silence. How joyful is that? Some of you know what I'm talking about. And and around midnight, this is what happened at midnight, there's a piercing screech from both of our daughter's rooms. From both of our daughter's rooms. And so Michelle looked at me and I looked at her and we said, okay, we'll split it up and in 15 minutes, we're going to be able to go to bed before tomorrow. Right? And so, you know, Michelle was like, okay, I'll take Kate, and you, you got Clara. And so, that's great. And so we're trying, and 15 minutes later, you know, we both failed, right? We both failed. It's 1 a.m. now, and now there's confusion. There's confusion in the house. There's confusion not only in ourselves and within us. We're starting to question, what did we do wrong? What did they eat, right? And then, by 2 a.m., it's anger, Right? Confusion just went to anger. It's like, why are you doing this to us? We love you. But by 3 a.m., sorrow. Because there's nothing left. It's 3 a.m., there's sorrow. And so at 3 a.m., I'm just on my couch, just like contemplating, God, if I close my eyes, you'll take care of this house. Claire is 10 months old. She'll be okay. Hopefully she doesn't lick the outlet that we didn't cover right? And, and I mean, we're, we're, I'm contemplating this. I believe and I trust in God. And I, I think Clara heard it because I must have sighed very loud. She turns to me immediately and, you know, just crawls to the other side of the living room where I'm at. And, and she puts her arms up because she wants to be held. And she opens her mouth in a big, big smile with her two big buck teeth, right? <laughs> That's joy. It made me forget about the last four hours of my life right? I mean, you know, so I pick her up, and I put her in my arms, and then she yawns. If it were that easy, she yawns and puts her head down on on my chest, and so joy has returned. (laughs) Anybody experience joy in the middle of sorrow like that, right? Your kid's giving you a break, a gift from God, a gift from God. If you're in the middle of sorrow, if you're in the middle of being pessimistic about the potential of having a fullness of joy, then Jesus is telling you, follow me. 
because my way leads to the fullness of joy. We're going to wrestle with that some more. Verse 16. A little while, and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while, and you will see me. Two things I want us to notice here. The first is this, when Jesus says, a little while. That's a segment in time, right? It's a reference to time, and he says it twice, right? Jesus has been preparing his disciples for the reality to come. And so the first time he talks about a little while, he's talking about going to the cross to die. They're going to see in a little while, in a matter of a few hours, actually, that he is going to die on the cross, that he will be buried, that his tomb will be sealed, and that they will be filled with incredible sorrow. That's what happens in a little while. And then the second little while he refers to is how they will witness Jesus in his resurrected form, that they will see him. They're going to see the unsealed tomb. They're going to see it empty. Essentially, what Jesus is telling his disciples is that you followed me until this point, and you were going to continue to follow me, but be assured there will be sorrow when you follow me. And it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt like you've never been hurt before, but those sorrows, those tears, those questionings, I'm going to turn them to joy. And the second thing we have to notice in verse 16 is this, the verb to see, to see, right? And we're going to see this in more detail when we get to verse 20 when he unpacks this thought, but it's our seeing or not seeing that changes from going to sorrow to going to joy. If we see Jesus, our sorrows turns to joy because when we don't see him, we are sorrowful. That, that's what we see here, right? There, there's something psychological that happens when we see things, isn't there? Sight has the ability, right? There's an ability to facilitate our experience of joy. And, and I mean, in fact, there are whole industries dedicated to making joy something you experience based on your sight. Uh, do this experiment with me. We're, we're going to look at some slides. Um, can we put up the first slide? Googly eyes. Who doesn't love googly eyes? Isn't that why there's a markup when you buy this for kids? Because for some reason, when kids look at googly eyes on their crafts, it brings them joy. And you, by default, have to laugh, right? Googly eyes. What, what, what about next one? Bubbles. Who isn't joyful when they see bubbles? I don't care how old you are. Soap and water makes you happy, <laughs> right? Next one, balloons. This is why we have a helium shortage, people, because there's joy in balloons, right? Ice cream? Yeah, a lot more reaction there, right? Okay, ice cream, especially with sprinkles. It makes us joyful. Swimming pools. Yeah, joyful. Joyful, isn't it? Christmas lights. The season of joy, right? How many of us have experienced joy after seeing these things while you're in sorrow? All of us, I would say, in our lifetimes, right? We experience the abundant joy of God similarly when we see Jesus. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit. We talked about this last week, right? The Holy Spirit living in each believer he exists to glorify the Son. He's going to take what is the Son's and declare it to those whom he calls. That's in verse 15 of this chapter. So joy is the Son's to give because it was set before him when he bore the cross, right? And so he gives that to us. The Holy Spirit lets us see Jesus so that we 
can experience joy. That's a guarantee. Verse 17. Some of his disciples said to one another, what is it that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. And because I am going to the Father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he's talking about. This is the first time the disciples actually speak since chapter 14. They have not said a single word in all the confusing things that Jesus has said until this point. And he, they weren't even referring to Jesus. They weren't even talking to Jesus. They were talking quietly amongst themselves, right? And I'm pointing this out for a reason. Some of us, we've been following Jesus or, or pretending to follow Jesus because we come to church. We, we do a life group. We, we read the Bible, but we have not asked a single question. We don't actually know why we do the things that we do or say the things that we say. And that's not to say, hey, shame, shame. That's to say you're in the same boat as the disciples. They followed Jesus for three years. They didn't ask him why. They didn't ask him what he's talking about. Right? And I, I want to encourage you today, if that's you, if you've never asked why, what are we doing, how are we doing this, how does this work, ask, because Jesus wants to explain it to you. Right? John makes it very clear, if you are confused, ask. Right? Jesus' 12 disciples, they were clueless, but they didn't have the nerve to ask. Jesus, in verse 19, says this, he knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to him, Is this what you're asking yourselves? What I meant by saying, a little while, and you will not see me. And again, in a little while, you will see me. And he explains it. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. Jesus immediately gives two theological answers, right, about following him, right? The truth is this. Following Jesus leads to a perplexing sorrow. But also, following Jesus leads to an abundant joy. And he says this in one simple statement that's probably very hard to understand anyway, right? So as we follow Jesus, you're going to realize that the world does not share in your sorrows. Have you experienced that, right? In fact, it seems like the world rejoices when you're sorrowful, when you're in pain. And it has everything to do with the cross, right? When the disciples followed Jesus, as he took the cross to Calvary to hang and die, they wept and they lamented. At the cross, the disciples lost their master. Their enemies seemingly had victory over their Messiah. The king that they hoped for died. There was weeping, there was lamenting, there was sorrow. The world rejoices because Jesus dies on the cross The sin that he exposes in his love can now be hidden away. We read that in John chapter 3. The sins can return to the darkness in which they hid. So in the misery of Jesus' disciples, the world celebrates. Even though, even though it only looks like there's sorrow at the cross of Jesus, on that bloody cross, it's actually the source of the disciples' joy. John Stott, he's a British theologian, he says this about the cross of Jesus. Overcome. He was himself overcoming. Crushed by the ruthless power of Rome, he himself was crushing the serpent's head. The victim was the victor, and the cross is still the throne from which he rules the world. What a powerful image and truth of the cross of Jesus. It is a throne where Christ, our Savior, rules the world today. Our sorrows turn into joy because the cross, and on that cross, 
our king overthrows the dominion of evil to reign supreme over death and sin. That is why we have joy. Death on the cross could not hold back our Christ, right? He was resurrected to life, vindicated from false accusations against him. The curse of God is not on him. And in fact, rather, he is the fulfillment and blessing of God. Jesus' sacrifice pleased God so much, it allowed us to become his heirs, to become his children. Hear me if you are wallowing in sorrow or if you can't seem to keep the joy in your life. Believe that the cross of Jesus is still his throne today, that he is alive and that he rules from it. You are a child of God. You are adopted by the blood of Jesus. He died so that we could live. He became sin who knew no sin so that we could become the righteousness of the most high God and have eternal life. That is the reason we are joyful. That is the everlasting eternity and reality that we look forward to. Some of you aren't sold yet. Let's go to verse 21. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. This illustration that Jesus gives his disciples is important. He says that joy is a gift birthed from suffering. So when we follow Jesus to the cross, when we follow Jesus to the cross, what's actually happening is we are sorrowful because we're convicted of our sin. We face our own inability. We are faced and humbled with our inadequacy. Isn't this how most of us receive Jesus in the first place? We're confronted with the reality of how broken and sinful we are before God. And then God gives us his son to be the substitutionary atonement that we need to become his child. That's how I became a Christ follower. I was confronted by the reality and the sorrow of the gospel, which became the source of my hope. I had to beg God, save me. And in his love, that's exactly what he did. If you are not a believer or if you've never believed that your sorrow can be turned to joy, then today you have to trust and place your faith in Jesus because while there is a perplexing sorrow that when we look on that cross, we receive the greatest joy of all. We know his love. We experience his power, his grace, and his mercy. That's true joy. Verse 22. So also you have sorrow now but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. The idea of seeing Jesus comes up again, right? If you are a disciple, you need to be able to see him. You need to be able to see Jesus. You have to see him so that your heart can rejoice when it's sorrowful. If we're not seeing Jesus, we gotta ask ourselves, are we really following him? Are we following him? Is that the reason why our hearts don't rejoice? It's clear that when we do see him, that our joy cannot be taken away. If you need to see Jesus because of your sorrow, then you need to ask the Holy Spirit. You need to ask the Holy Spirit to open up your spiritual eyes so that you can see him in your life. And then, that's exactly what the Spirit of God will do. He will open your eyes so that you can witness Jesus' love for you and experience God's joy. Uh, th th this is clearly a spiritual type of seeing. Right? 
It's spiritual seeing. It's an acute awareness of Jesus actively working in your life, doing his work. And then as his disciples, through his spirit, we are responding to the work of Jesus in our lives. Uh, Let me tell you why it's so hard for many of us to see Jesus working in our lives, to see him actively alive. It's because we are so distracted by our sorrows. We are so distracted by our sins, by sins, by things that are pretending and masquerading to be God that we fail to see Jesus actively working. Is that just me? Or is that many of us here? We cannot forget, we cannot forget that Jesus' resurrection caused them to be alive. He is not dead. He has not gone away. He is here. He is working in our lives. And not only has he gone to the Father and ascended to heaven on the right hand of God, but he is working in our lives right here, right now, in the life of this very world. And the Holy Spirit empowers us to see Jesus, and he gives us confidence to follow Jesus. That's exactly why Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to us, so that the third person of the Trinity can continue to point to the Son to glorify God the Father. So see the resurrected Jesus in your life. He's alive and he's showing us how to follow him. So frame your life and your prayers as if he is alive and here with us because he is here. He is resurrected and working in the world that we live in. Do not be distracted from seeing him. Tuesday is election day. I want to address this very dangerous idol that we have, right? It, It subtly replaced our Savior with worshiping elephants and donkeys, right? And this is not something new. This is not something new. This has gone through all history. You know, when the Israelites left Egypt and they parked in Midian, they replaced God with a golden calf. They replaced God with a golden calf because they were distracted by their sorrows, because they could not see God's presence, even, God, even though God's presence was there before them. Don't fall into the trap following politicians or ideologies because it is not the same as following Jesus, right? See Jesus and follow him only. He is our source of joy and no one else and nothing else can impact our eternity besides him. Do not place your hopes and your salvation on our political system or our political candidates. It's all broken, right? They do not... They do not represent our resurrected Christ. They will not replace Jesus Christ. If that is not your idol, if that is not your idol, then that's good. Follow Jesus. But if that has become your idol, and if you've mistaken those things for following Jesus by supporting one group or another, think again. Ask yourselves, where is it that Jesus is working? What is it that Jesus is doing? And if you're in the camp of, well, this world has gone to hell, so I'm going to protect what I believe and what I value with my convictions, then know this, that your convictions and your values mean nothing. It means nothing if we're not following the command of Jesus to love others, right? Because that's exactly what Jesus says we do when we follow him. Do not lose your joy because the culture attacks our faith. In fact, rejoice from it. Rejoice because that just means the culture is desperately attacking and spiraling away. They've already lost the war on the cross, right? They've already been defeated. And historically speaking, when we look at our faith, when we look at the faith of those who have gone before us, it's when culture viciously attacks that the disciples of Jesus cling harder to Christ, accepting 
joyfully the rejection of the world. And I think it's actually personally a good thing that the culture is becoming less Christian because it makes it easier for us to see where Jesus is actively working and manifesting himself through it. So Jesus calls his disciples to love the world the same way he did on the cross. That means there is no Christian political conquest. There is no Christian military coup. There is a spiritual war, though. But that war was won two millennia ago. The war is already over. So I'm going to give you some political advice, because I know that's all you came for. (laughs) Go exercise your political rights by loving people the same way Jesus commands us to love people. Follow Jesus. Get educated on the platforms and issues. Then act in love, not in hate. Because the world may hate God, but God doesn't hate the world. He loved the world, so he sent his one and only son. If you truly want to see change in this world, see where Jesus and see who Jesus is working on and then do as he commands. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you where he's working in your life. That's exactly what the disciples of Jesus did. The whole books of Acts, it's dedicated, documenting exactly how the disciples did this. How loving one another, they used their spiritual giftings and their resources so that none would have need. In fact, in the history of our world, this is what we see the disciples of Christ do. They ask Jesus, how do we follow you? And in fact, when they obediently follow Jesus, we see that people first became literate because the disciples of Jesus decided that they were going to follow their Lord, their Savior. That's how the first hospitals were built. That's why the first public schools were started. That's why slavery was abolished. That's how humans got rights, because the disciples of Jesus decided they weren't going to shy away, but they were going to engage the world with love, the love of their Savior. So let's forget about griping about the brokenness in the world and start going investing in people, investing in the people of peace in your life with your spiritual gifts. Love them systematically. Love them intentionally. Love them purposefully. Tell them about the joy you have in Jesus because you are a witness of God's love to this broken world and by our faithfulness and through it, God will get his glory. God will transform the culture through you and me and joy will abound. That is the good news. So I'm going to ask all of us, let's follow Jesus in confident boldness. It's time to be confidently bold as we follow Jesus. Verse 23. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. The reason we pray to Jesus, the reason we pray in Jesus' name is because of this verse. When we ask the Father in Jesus' name, he gives it to us. The the last few weeks, we've been pressing that the fruits of following Jesus would change our prayers from me-centered to God-centered. That our prayers, that our way of living in our following Jesus would ask God, change this world to bring glory upon himself. And we actually see this in chapter 15, right? In verse 7, we read this a few weeks ago. He says this, if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. That's a promise from Jesus. But this, by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. 
As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. And Jesus clearly tells the disciples to pray this way, because when we pray this way, our joy will be full. When we pray, God, do your glory, do your work, our joy becomes full because God actually does what he says he will. Are we praying in Jesus' name this way? If you're not, start to. If you're not confidently bold in following Jesus, it's time to start doing that. And I know that's hard for a lot of us, so I'm going to give you four easy steps, mini steps even, that you can take every single day so that you can be confidently bold in your faith in praying this way. First is this. Decide to see Jesus at work in your life. Walk around with your eyes open to what God is doing. Don't let life fly by. There was a reason your car broke down in the middle of the day on that street. There was a reason did you see God working. That's the first thing. Second, decide to want Jesus to work in your life. Some of us are actually too afraid to ask God to work in our life because we're afraid of what he might do. We know what he's capable of, but we don't want to take that risk. It is so much easier to live in our comfortable little bubbles. Take a risk. It is scary, but it is worth it when he shows you his glory. Want Jesus to work in your life. Make that decision. Third, decide to need Jesus to work in your life. I I know we need God's help to win that $1.9 billion Powerball, right? (laughs) I I know we we need God's help, right? We need Jesus to do that. But really, we have to position ourselves in a way that we need Jesus. Your safe spaces, your busyness, your autopilot, those are distractions. Those are idols, Put yourself in a position to need Jesus. Make that decision. Fourth, decide to commit to one action of faith every day. One action of faith every day. And that action could be to love a person of peace in your life, whether that's a coworker or your barista or your neighbor or that guy who's unfit for the gym. Love on that person, right? Love on that person. Maybe it's committing to pray to pray for one non-believer in your life so that you could share the gospel with that person, so that you can share why you have joy. Maybe that one act of faith that you commit to is to actually read the Bible. Not gloss over it, but to read it. Commit to it. Not something you start and stop, but you do it every single day. Because if you do these four things and you start making these little mini decisions, what you're actually doing is you're confidently, boldly, following Jesus in your small things. And these things start to add up. If you want fullness of joy, be confidently bold in following Jesus. Make these your decisions every day. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you give us abundant joy as we follow your son in this broken world. God, when we know you, when we experience your glory, 
because we decide to intentionally open our eyes to you, you make our experience resonate with a love that brightens and heightens all of our senses. And God, we thank you for that. God, we, we know that is that joy that we need to cling to and that we need to, to hold on to. We don't want it to be taken away from us. We know that you're working in our lives because you are alive and that you are going to glorify yourself. So fill us with a joy that can't be taken away, God. Fill us with your love. Fill us so that we can see exactly what you're doing. God, as we take communion today, remind us that even though there's perplexing sorrow in the cross, there's also abundant victory. And I ask that as we take the spiritual meal together, that we can move to fully trust you with our lives. And I pray that your glory will be upon us and that your spirit will overflow through us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we take communion, we're going to stand and sing this song together.